if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday. It's the third morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And it's a day to look back and find out what happened. Was it a successful day for the state of Ohio and for Ohio conservatives on the second primary day? Or is there still more work to be done? Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to ask Shannon Burns that very question. Shannon uh, sent me a note last night, said, we've got it. Statewide, we've got it. It looks like. Now, at that particular point in time, there were still a few votes to be counted in a few crucial places. But it looks like statewide, there will be enough votes in the... Um, State Central Committee for the Republican Party, which of course controls the leadership and chooses the leadership of the ORP, which dictates so much of the policies and uh, and support uh, in the Ohio State House, in the Ohio General Assembly, between the State House and the State Senate. It is so crucial, which is why we spent days, days and days leading up to the election talking to people about the importance of voting in this uh, primary yesterday, the second of two primaries, of course, because of the shenanigans of the Ohio Supreme Court. And uh, the goal was, of course, to get enough reformers elected into the state central committee to um, remove the corrupt leadership at the top of the ORP right now. And uh, according to what uh, you know, the early projections were as of last night when I talked to Shannon, there are enough victories in enough of those state central committee races to change leadership, which would be just an enormously uh, important and, uh, and, and a reason to celebrate, quite frankly, because that is what this state is. I said this yesterday, and I don't want to overplay it, 
and I certainly won't redo it. But um, just a very brief summary of what I said yesterday. This state is so, 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 so underperforming what it could be. It is such a clearly red state. I mean, Donald Trump's last two victories of eight points plus each, even in the midst of controversy and so on and so forth, underscores that. The fact that there is a massive majority, a veto-proof majority in the Ohio uh, General Assembly on both houses in favor of Republicans proves that. We are a red state, and yet we do nothing strong enough to protect conservative values, which are constitutional values, which are American values, not partisan values, not Republican values, but literally American values. And the state doesn't do enough with the power that it has. The Republican Party is so weak, it is so corrupt, it is so feckless, it is so ineffective, um, changes needed to be made. There's just no way, two ways about it. And it starts at the state central committee level. Uh, that will have a huge impact on endorsements and uh, uh, getting the right people in place in the uh, in the uh, General Assembly and being able to talk to them, being, being able to say, hey, look, this is what we put you there for. This is why we made you our representatives in Columbus, because we want medical freedom, because we want control of our schools, et cetera, et cetera. Again, I won't get into the entire thing. But that's why yesterday was so important, and it's why we're going to analyze how it all went down coming up here at uh, 935 with Shannon Burns. So that's uh, a very, very exciting thing uh, to be thinking about. And then later in the program, as a matter of fact, at the top of the next hour, it's going to shift gears completely. Shift gears away from current events and talk. Well, you know what? It might be a current event of sorts. It's kind of interesting. We're going to talk with Jack Barsky, who is an ex-KGB spy. He was a KGB operative uh, from East Germany who was recruited by the Russians to spy on their behalf. He was interviewed recently by a guy that we interviewed um, as well, uh, Michael Franzese, who is a former uh, uh, mafioso, former former you know uh, I don't I don't know, was he a captain I can't remember his title but he was a a strong man for uh, a capo yeah he was a capo. So uh, Michael Franzese did an interview with him. So you got an ex-mafia uh, ex, um, interviewing an ex-KGB agent and talking about some of the secrets that lie kind of you know under the surface of the United States government and quite frankly some of the dangers that are that are posed to the American people and to the American and to the government to a, to a large extent as well, um, because we don't really know. There, there is some suspicion that, that Jack Barsky will talk about, but we don't really know how many of these types of uh, informants, you know, you want to call them spies. It's kind of funny in the interview that they did, you know, they talked about them, uh, uh, you know, the rats uh, in the FBI, or excuse me, the rats working for the uh, FBI by infiltrating uh, the mafia are kind of like the spies in, uh, inserted by the KGB into American society to uh, you know, to spy on us. Uh, they just have different terminology, but how many of them still exist today? How under surveillance by <clears throat> informants, spies, uh, whatever it is that you want to call them, are we? Uh, how many are there in the United States today? How serious is that issue? It's, it's kind of a fascinating thing. It's kind of a fascinating look at the history of the um, uh, attempts by the KGB to spy on its enemies, and that includes the United States. And this man is a very clear uh, you know, opponent of, of such things now. But he was recruited when he was very young and very, very talented. But he's got a great story to tell about then, 
And we're going to kind of bring that current and find out about how big that threat is now. I mean, literally, we're, what, six years removed from the national media and one of the two major political parties telling us that Russia controlled our election by way of influence, by way of some of these same types of spies or same types of informants, same types of people, uh, you know, creating uh, kind of a... Uh, kind of an operating an operating class uh, underneath the surface of what the rest of us see in our politics. We're just six years removed. They said Donald Trump won because of Russian uh, collusion or collusion with the Russians. Now they were wrong. It was a complete made up thing. But the reality is Russia is trying to influence and is trying to uh, play a role in the way America runs its its uh, government. There's no doubt about that, and look what the impact Vladimir Putin has had on American life since his invasion of Ukraine as well. So all of these things are interconnected, and I think it's going to be a great conversation. So Shannon Burns will be with us at 935. Former KGB agent Jack Barsky will talk about Russian spying here in the United States and influence here in the United States at 1010. So we're looking forward to those conversations, and I welcome you to be a part of it. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110 are the numbers to be here. And before we do anything else, I'm going to ask you patriots to rise, as we do each and every day at the start of our show. Go ahead and face your flag if you have one. If you don't, that's okay. If you're in your car, you do not have to rise. Stay seated. But please, put your hand on your heart if you would, and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you think that words like recession and woman can be just redefined at a whim, redefined to advance a political ideology. If you think those things can happen, uh, then you have no earthly idea what this country represents anyway. You don't represent honesty. You don't represent truth. You don't represent that flag we are asking you to pledge your allegiance to. So as such, you are excused from this request. You may take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback and your favorite ex-women's soccer star. For the rest of us... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all all right friends so looking back at some of the other uh, uh, results yesterday we will get to those with Shannon Burns uh, but there was something else very very important that happened yesterday Nancy Pelosi went through with it. She did land in Taiwan. We talked about it in the last hour of our show when she landed, and the Chinese are not happy. So I want to say something very, very direct and very, very clear. I think Nancy Pelosi is extraordinarily reckless for this entire gambit, this entire trip, I think, was unnecessary, and it's creating some international waves that did not need to be created at this particular moment in time. A moment in which we are facing uh, new leadership, possibly, in November, as uh, the midterm elections could and likely will change the balance of power in Washington, at a time in which we are dealing with, uh, I mean, literally historic financial and economic challenges in this country, with 40-plus year high inflation, with uh, extraordinary numbers of Americans living paycheck to paycheck, unable to fill their gas tanks, literally record high gas prices. Uh, we continue to suffer with a, it's not even a surge. I mean, it's just an ongoing, steady invasion of illegal aliens crossing our southern border and uh, causing more headaches than you can even imagine in American cities. All of these things going on, it's not a right, the right time to be challenging 
the Chinese government, knowing full well that if you go to Taiwan, that's what you're going to do. So I think Nancy Pelosi is extremely reckless. I think the Democrat Party, the Biden administration, uh, share that, that title or that label. They're all reckless. They have no earthly idea. Uh, what kind of danger they are putting the United, the United States in by scheduling this trip. Having said that, because they made the public announcement of this trip, which I believe to be nothing more than a distraction from so many of the other failures of the Brandon administration and the Democrat agenda, because she made that public announcement and the Chinese said, don't you dare, if you play with fire, you will be burned in it, or every, all who play with fire will be, will perish in it. Because they did that, our hands were tied. Now you had to make the trip. You absolutely had to go. Otherwise, you you signal to the rest of the world that the Americans can be bullied, the Americans can be threatened, the Americans can be coerced or cajoled into doing something we don't want to, or they don't want to do, or to not doing something that they want to do. It sends a terrible message to the rest of the world that we are as weak as Joe Biden looks in front of a camera. So she had to go, and she did. And the Chinese government, again, is livid, and they are essentially promising some sort of punishment, some sort of payback, some sort of retribution. Now, this situation, as, as it's playing out, <clears throat> leader Xi Jinping essentially threatening, threatening some sort of countermeasures. We don't know what those, are, what those are going to be. But I am pleased to the extent that the American people are now starting to see the Chinese Communist Party for what it is. All right? So I, just to make this very, very clear, I was very, very disgusted with Pelosi's decision to go to Taiwan because it uh, creates a problem we don't need right now with a host of other problems that we're, that we're facing. However, once she made the announcement, she had to go through with it, so I'm glad that she did because we need to send a message to the rest of the world that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't control our travel, doesn't tell us where we can go, when we can go there. Uh, we can recognize anybody we want, uh, and that's exactly what had to happen there. But now I'll say this part, and this is the most important part. We are seeing the Chinese Communist Party for the evil that it represents. They literally are saying that a lawmaker, and all she is, yeah, she's the lead lawmaker, she's the Speaker of the House, but she's just the, uh, you know, she's, she's a lawmaker, one of 435 members of the House of Representatives, one of 535 members of our total Congress, going to Taiwan, along with, you know, a number of other uh, Asian countries, um, should not generate this type of anger this type of saber-rattling, this type of war drum beating that the Chinese Communist Party is doing right now. And it is. And because of that, I am, I am moderately pleased. Because maybe this will wake Americans up to the threat of China. Maybe this will wake Americans up to why people like me and so many others who do what I do for a living are, have completely turned off, for example, the NBA who have completely stopped buying products from companies like Nike. All of these companies and these uh, sports leagues and celebrities who completely are owned and operated by the money they make from the massive Chinese population. They are willing to subject untold um, severity of human rights abuses upon people like the Uyghur Muslims who are in their concentration camps. Human rights abuses on their uh, the workers of China who work in their factories to provide goods for us. All of the things that we get from China. And I'm not saying we can, because it's the, 
the amount of, of goods and services, well, goods primarily that we get from China is, I mean, they're just a massive, massive part of the American economic um, and consumer infrastructure. I'm not saying we can go cold turkey. But I stopped watching the NBA because I do, do not and will not condone the support of China. And they literally kiss the Chinese Communist Party's rear end. Let's move on to the Biden administration. The Biden administration, the CDC under his leadership, Dr. Anthony Fauci in lockstep, refused to acknowledge and admit that the Wuhan flu, the coronavirus that has destroyed so many lives in so many ways in the United States and around the globe, came from a Chinese laboratory, not because some bat bit a pangolin. The fact of the matter is this was created in this gain-of-function research by the Chinese Communist Party with the willing support and assent of some in the United States, including Fauci, who led the funding of this research. And then they released it on the world. So many people want to just think, no, this is just, you know, it's one of those pandemic things that just happens. It's nobody's fault, like the Spanish flu and the avian flu. And no, the CCP is every bit as evil as we have been telling you they are. And this is just another example. They had military exercises with bellicose rhetoric warning that the speaker's visit will have a severe impact on the foundation of China-U.S. relations and seriously infringes infringes upon China's sovereignty and uh, territorial integrity. They put aircraft carriers into the South China Sea to scare and intimidate an American uh, diplomatic flight from landing in Taiwan. China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs said China firmly opposes and sternly condemns this and has made a serious demarque and strong protest to the United States. Their military said they were on high alert because some lawmaker named Nancy Pelosi, an 82-year-old with with chattering dentures and a vodka-soaked sweater, showed up in Taiwan as if she was bringing a weapon of, of mass destruction or something with her. It is impossible to understand the severity of and the evil, quite frankly, of the Chinese Communist Party. Everybody's worried about Putin, 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 Putin. And I'm not saying he's, you know, blameless in anything. But if you don't recognize that the strongest threat to our well-being, to our role in the world, is that, that it's the Chinese Communist Party, if you didn't understand it before, I hope you do now. I hope you do now. The Chinese Communist Party is, a, is an enormous threat to the Western world. And the fact that we continue to do business with them on the scale and the, the, the level that we do is simply unforgivable. I hope this is showing some people and teaching some people a lesson about what we're dealing with when it comes to the Chinese Party. And having said all of that, super quick, this is not to be interpreted as any kind of a... Uh, of a of a besmirching of the character, or or to to have any uh, say whatsoever on 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 Asian Americans. Everybody thinks if you criticize the Wuhan flu, people are going to go start beating up Asian people in the United States, you know, and that people are going to target, uh, you know, bad people are going to target Asians in the. No, it's garbage. Those good people are good people, and they have no say whatsoever in the policy of the Chinese Communist Party. 
So nobody will ever, ever, ever make that mistake. Don't listen to the left. Don't tell them we're not allowed to criticize the CCP or else Asians in America will, will face the repercussions. That's a red herring. Don't let them do that. But understand when you make your decisions in November. Understand that those who continue, continue to appease this evil regime of Chinese Communist Party leadership are putting the United States of America in jeopardy. Not just this year, not next year, but literally, literally for years to come. I hope this is a massive learning moment. Pelosi's trip was ill-advised, but then necessary, and now was instructional, because now we see the CCP for what they really are. I hope that's important to you. It should be. 926. We'll take a time out here. We'll get some news. We're going to come back and talk about what happened in the state of Ohio yesterday. The ORP was put on notice before the uh, second day of the primaries, the second round of primaries. Let's see what kind of notice they give now that they are over. Shannon Burns will tell us about it. AM 1420, The Answer. The sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob Prance on the answer. Yes, indeed. Now 935. Thanks for being with us. It was a big day yesterday. We spent a lot of time, not only yesterday, but in the days and weeks leading up to the second of two Ohio primary elections, all thanks to the shenanigans and the incompetence of the Ohio Supreme Court, particularly its Chief Justice. We had to have a separate day. So what we encouraged people to do yesterday during those state house races and a few Senate races and moreover, and more importantly, perhaps, the... Um, state central committee races was take advantage of what is going to be low turnout and really really get out there and fight against the machine that is the rhino uh faction which is the majority faction and the leadership of the ohio republican party so how did it go well let's ask shannon burns shannon burns was one of the leaders of the reform movement to try to bring transparency uh back to the ohio republican party and to bring true conservative values back to the republican party in the state of ohio uh shannon good to have you back how are you yeah, I am doing great this morning, Bob. Uh, it, was a, it was a great night for the conservative movement last night. And uh, I, I just uh, sent a text to somebody right before we went on air, and I said, you know, the state party is never going to be the same again. Thank God. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, yeah, I, I'm not even seeing you. We're we're on radio, but but I can tell you've got like you're grinning like a Cheshire cat right now. Uh, this is this is exactly what what you wanted to have happen. Let's be specific now. When you and I messaged one another last night a little bit, we talked about this. You said we are now going to have the votes to change leadership of the ORP. Tell me tell me what happened last night. Give me some specifics. Yeah. So. You know, as I think about what happened last night, and I was trying to reflect on it to talk with you this morning, you know, with a really poor, poor leadership of Bob Paducic, um, it, it created a void. It created an opportunity for that others just needed to step up, and and many people around the state did. Conservatives all around the state stepped up and and ran for state central committee. You know, got involved in their party and otherwise, and you know, we had amazing wins last night. Like. You know, who used to be our attorney general, everyone knows, you know, very pro-choice, very, you know, squishy Republican, Betty Montgomery lost to a relative no-name person, Sabrina Weber, our new hero, uh, down in the, uh, in, I think, Fairfield County area. 
um, amazing victory, right? That's something that could have never happened if, if uh, conservatives wouldn't have stepped up. Um, and, you know, that happened all over the state. Um, there, there's a couple question marks as to where we actually are um, on the exact vote right now because the Secretary of State still has one district that we thought there was a, uh, a female running in, and they're not showing any results in it. But let's just say that regardless of how that turns out, <clears throat> we have the votes necessary now to start the process to reform this party. And, and that's amazing because, you know, when I first joined the – when I first got on the committee, it became really clear that <clears throat> if we were lucky, we had 20% of the votes, um, if we were lucky. And, you know, over a course of time through appointments and whatnot, we actually got to a point where we could, you know, get the entire committee to call on Anthony Gonzalez to resign, which was, believe it or not, a huge accomplishment. You know, everyone of the lesson of your listeners would say, well, it's easy to do. Well, in that, in that body, it wasn't. And now, uh, you know, fast forward to, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, endorsement process uh, with uh, Mike DeWine. <clears throat> we had 25 of the 66 members uh, go against that process. And now we're at a point where we'll have the requisite number, uh, you know, 33 votes necessary to be able to change our leadership, to be able to create new bylaws so that we won't have these problems in the future. So there'll actually be rules that have to be followed that you know, will, will give us a, a roadmap forward for a red state now that can have fair and just primaries in, in a state party that doesn't interfere. You, we're talking with Shannon Burns, who is uh, the president of the Strongsville GOP. He is also a member of the Ohio, or the, uh, uh, Ohio Republican Party State Central Committee. He won his uh, uh, his uh, uh, district yesterday again. Um, you said write new bylaws. Do you even need new bylaws, or do you just need leadership to um, to abide by the ones that exist? Because that's one of the things that I think frustrated frustrated me the most as I learned about this under Paducek and his uh, you know strong arm, strong man style of leadership. No, we definitely need new bylaws. I mean, if you read through them, Bob, they've been hob, you know, put together over with bubble gum and, and duct tape over the course of 20 years, it looks like. And, and there's, you know, even, even with the topic of electing the chairman, there's two different methods in the bylaws. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very clear that there are um, inequities within the bylaws, problems all over the place. And, and on top of it, the most important is there is no remedy at all. You know, there's, there's members uh, that were so frustrated by lack of leadership that they ended up suing the state party to force them to follow the bylaws. And the courts actually ended up saying, well, we have no jurisdiction. We actually have no uh, ability to create remedy here because of the, uh, because of the way state law is and the way the bylaws are written. So that, you know, that, that has to be changed. There has to be some accountability um, you know, we, we can't be in a circumstance where we go 16 years without auditing our finances and having significant issues with the uh, reporting. Um, you know, who knows if there's any actual money gone or not. Well, we won't know that, but we haven't been audited. And the reason why that happened was because there's no teeth in the bylaws. There's nothing that prevents a, uh, a rogue uh, chairman from just doing whatever they want. And, you know, that can't be the case. And you know, we have to be able to be held accountable. Shannon, when I spoke to you last, uh, it was the same time that I spoke with Tom Zawistowski, uh, who is, you know, we talked about your uh, um, comparative uh, endorsement slates and so forth. This is on Monday. And um, I, I, I want to bring Tom up again here because um, Tom has just put out his uh, reaction to, uh, to, to the results yesterday. 
and he called the primary election a debacle. Uh, and the reason why, 8% was the turnout. That means 90, and it cost $30 million to the Ohio taxpayers to have a second primary day because of the way the redistricting lines and the Supreme Court uh, you know, handled all of that. So we get the second primary day, 92% of registered Ohioans stayed home. Uh, didn't have any interest whatsoever in voting in this thing. And so the results that we got, you know, while some of them are encouraging, as you pointing out, maybe having enough members of the state central committee to vote out the current leadership and, and, and return some, uh, you know, some normalcy and, and some, some constitutional principles to the, to the ORP and to the endorsement process, as you just described with, with respect to state offices and so forth. Bigger picture, a whole bunch of people just didn't care about this yesterday. How do you react to that? Well, it, it's it's a I, I I'm almost speechless to, to think about the money, amount of money we spent uh, to have eight percent vote. Um, of course, I'm happy about the results. Uh, we were able to take advantage of that. You know, we had a uh, a great coalition, conservative groups that that focused in on the people that we could get to vote. Uh, you know, folks like you know Ohio Value Voters and Buckley Firearms and Right to Life Action Coalition and, and many others like Tom Z's organization that all, all banded together to try to get more people to turn out to vote that were our people, of course. <clears throat> and, and we were successful with that. But, my goodness, I mean, the, the gift of Maureen O'Connor just keeps on giving. You know, the, unbelievable that we spent that much money to have 8% turnout. Um, and you know, it's pretty clear that that um, you know, the, the primary process you know, has questions. You know, should, were we actually allowed to have a second primary? Um, you know, geez. I, it never ceases to amaze me the things that government will do to, to, to make a fool of themselves. Yeah, and, you know, when you break it down, uh, and this is something else that I was just looking at Tom's uh, message this morning, um, it costs 50 bucks a vote. It cost this taxpayers $50 for every vote cast uh, because so few people wanted to be a part of this whole thing. And, uh, and, and, and that is, I don't know what can be done. Obviously, something would have to be done at the legislative level to try to change this. Um, but, but it really is, you know, while you might call it a win, and I agree with you, like I said, I'm grinning along with you. If we can remove Bob Paduchik and some of the others who are loyal to him and not to the people that give them their power in the state of Ohio uh, to get them out of there, I'm happy about that too. I'm grinning right alongside you, but I am frustrated uh, as as so many others are at the cost of this and the fact that there seems to be uh, a little interest. How much of the lack of interest, Shannon, though, do you put on the confusion that reigned? I mean, there were people literally who were on their way to the ballot box yesterday who said, I don't know which district I'm in. And and I don't know if I get there, I don't know which one I'm supposed to vote for anyway in order to make these changes. Uh, there were some people who thought uh, uh, their their um, uh, their district uh, race was unopposed and, and and didn't think there was anybody there, and come to find out they were, and then vice versa. So the 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 confusion that reigned, I think, is what really is so frustrating about this thing yesterday. And I wonder if that kept a lot of people away as well. It's just say, sure, do I really want to go vote here when I don't know too much about these state central committee representatives anyway? Well, there, there's a couple places downstate that actually can do, reduce their number of polling locations, which I think disenfranchised voters. Um, but I got to tell you, I think, Bob, the number one problem that we had out there is there's mm-hmm. not enough people that listen to your show. Because um, when we were messaging people uh, to get them out to vote, we right. literally had people respi- reply back to us and say, no, we don't vote until November. 
and you had to convince them mm. that, no, there's an election tomorrow, and uh, they didn't believe it, and they, they literally would call the Board of Elections and then, and then tell us, you know, message us back, you're right, I called the Board of Elections, I'm going to vote tomorrow. And they, they were talking about the day before, good, uh, you know, committed voters, people that would vote every single election, weren't turning out to vote because they didn't have any idea about it. So literally, um, you know, just as I expected, right, that's the entire strategy that we, we undertook here as we looked at this statewide, was that people would have no idea there's an election, and because there's no, they had no idea, turnout would be this low. Um, you know, what I thought was really interesting was that Secretary of State said that they were going to spend, you know, up their up to their budget on communications, and, and I, I don't know about you, I never really saw it. I never really saw the Secretary of State's office. I didn't either. Putting public messaging out. Yeah. No, no, I didn't either. And, you know, that's something I would like to ask Frank LaRose. And uh, uh, it's really uh, an unfortunate situation that, you know, not a lot of people knew that there was an election. It's just it's it's a it's a remarkable thing. But but then again, how many times do we flip open the newspaper if we still read the newspaper or perhaps swipe across the screen over the course of the, you know, the months in, you know, in this calendar year when we say, you know, court rejects uh, 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 redistricting lines again, it goes back again, court orders now, over yep. and over and over again. And this was leading up to the May 3rd primary. And then, you know, of course, they made the decision to have the split primary, separate primary dates. I wonder how many people just thought that it was over. May 3rd was, was what they decided, and it's over. And as you just point out, people said, I don't vote until November again. There needed to be a coordinated campaign telling everybody not only is there a second primary day, but, the you know, perhaps explain the importance of it. I tried to do it, but, you know, I'm, I'm one guy, and there's a few other guys and people who may have, uh, uh, you know, tried to use whatever platform platform they have to kind of sound the sound the uh, the alarm here not the alarm but to come in and you know the clarion call to get people to go and vote but but that should have been up to the state right it should have been up to the state to clarify all of the the confusing messaging that we got for months and months and months and saying this is how it all turned out we have to vote on august 2nd people didn't know that yeah i mean if you're going to spend 30 million dollars on the election uh spend another million dollars to make sure that people understand that there's an election um it, it seems that um that that just never happened, as far as I can tell, at least. I, I never never heard uh, any public messaging. I, mean, I got emails, and that was about it. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, eight percent is is abysmal. Now, I will tell yeah. you that Cuyahoga County uh, was uh, higher, right? I think we were in the ten percent range or so, uh, but higher in, in Cuyahoga County. And that was attributed, I think, to uh, Cuyahoga County sending out messaging about absentee ballots. So, so there was significantly more absentees in Cuyahoga County than there were in uh, other counties. And I think you, uh, but, I think you too, and the Strongsville GOP. You know, you you did a, a really, you know, a lot of hard work trying to tell people about this as well. Not only coming on the radio, but sending out messages, sending out mailers, voicemails, and all the other things that you did. You you probably got a lot more turnout here as well um, from yep. your efforts and the people that work with you. So, you know, and again, I don't want to make this sound like a downer. It's a great thing for the Ohio Republican Party to be able to once we get everything, you know, all the eyes dotted, t's crossed, every uh, single vote counted, and every race decided. Decided that you're going to have enough votes to change the leadership. These are the people, uh, and I want to end on a high note here. These are the people, Bob Paduchik and others, who who literally send out mailers lying to get uh, people to vote against people like you. They send out mailers uh, to to get other people who are challenging their loyalists and their uh, you know um, I hate to use the word you know, henchmen, but people who uh, <laughs> supported their iron grip uh, on uh, on the Ohio Republican Party. 
They operated in some very, very underhanded ways. They did so when they ran the party. They did so in the in the elections uh, for the leadership here. And when they get run out of there, I am not going to be uh, saying, man, it's too bad only 8% showed up, because uh, I'm going to be very, very happy with the outcome of this whole thing if it means what it, what it should mean for the future of this party. And maybe I'll go back to referring to myself as a Republican in Ohio as opposed to a conservative who has to vote Republican in Ohio. Well, we're going to love to have you back under that title, Bob. And, and hey, I just thought I'd throw an, an additional statistic out to you, just uh, because you'll enjoy this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bob Paducic and his allies uh, raised a lot of money from donors that probably should have been giving to the state party instead of to uh, their slush fund for these uh, state central committee races. But he spent, by my calculations, he spent about $20 additional per vote for, for the guy that was running against me. Um, so Wow. So, so the the state spent fifty dollars per vote, and he spent another twenty. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty so, funny. And and, and, and and I still won with fifty three percent of the vote. So I, you know, I, I think that uh, yeah, I think his his guy ended up with twenty four. So I, I said it um, last night, Shannon, and I'll say it on the good air now. For Bob. Yeah, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall in whatever room he was watching these things. Uh, these returns come in last night. I would love to have been there. I would ask him personally, but we called him, I can't tell you for how many months in a row, every single day we called him or left messages for him or texted his people and saying, we would love to have you on. we got to talk about this. We've got to talk about that. we got to get some of the answers to some of these questions. He hid and would not take challenging questions from anybody like me for months and months and months and months, uh, leading into that uh, uh, t- ridiculous debacle of, a, of a, an endorsement uh, um, a meeting that they held. Uh, in which they shut out members of the press who weren't going to kiss the ring of Bob Paducic and, yep. and, and report it, you know, like people like Jack Windsor, uh, got shut out. People like Neil McCabe got shut out, uh, because, you know, they weren't necessarily going to report, uh, all positive things on Bob Paducic. They might, might have actually reported that there was booing of Mike DeWine's name at his own endorsement ceremony for crying out loud. That's why DeWine didn't show up. So all of the things that Paducic did, uh, you know, kind of came home to roost, I guess, uh, yesterday, and I would love to have been a fly on the wall and heard what uh, what his reaction was to last night. Uh, well, I'm just glad that we're, we get to go forward. Yeah, a lot of conservatives stepped up because of his lack of leadership, and yeah. I'm just glad we get to go forward with correcting the finances, putting good rules in place, and making nightmares are robust going forward because, you know, fortunately because of uh, – President Trump's work in Ohio, we're a red state now, so we need to act like it. We need to have good, uh, robust, and fair primaries. So uh, that's going to be the future when, of the party now, and I'm when, so when, glad. When can things change? Sorry, Shannon, when can things change? When would be the vote for new leadership? So yeah, that's that's some of a, a question mark uh, right now. It looks like our, our next meeting is going to be required to be somewhere around September 1st or 2nd. Uh, it's not uh, – yeah, I think that it's 10 days after it gets certified. It has to be – we have to have our first meeting. And, you know, once members are seated and um, w- once we have the uh, appointments made, uh, then we could be in that position. So, Bob, it may take a second meeting. It may take a third meeting. Um, we'll have to work through the process, but we'll definitely keep you updated. When, uh, when you have those meetings, will people like Jack Windsor be allowed to come and cover them or no? Well, I'll tell you what. When we, when we make sure that conservatives <laughs> can, uh, are, are managing and leading the party, then it'll be open to the press. I mean, we'll even let the uh, you know the crazy leftist press in. That that'd be fine with us. I mean, obviously I, it's an open book. Tra- I think transparency solves most problems. 
Yeah, no, it does. And that was a big part of the reason why you were doing what you were doing. And so many conservatives across the state were, were engaged in this. Uh, I, I got a text from Jack. He's listening to us. He said, the real question is, when the new leadership is installed, will I, will, will I still be considered fake news or am I legit now? Because uh, you know, that's what Bob, one of the things Bob Paduchik did, said, you can't come and cover this because you are fake news. Uh, it's just so embarrassing what he has done to this party and uh, the people who supported him, and I'm so glad that he's going to be on his way out now. So the sooner you can have those meetings and to have those votes, the better, and uh, we'll look forward to following up with you on those things. Shannon Burns, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks. Take care. All right. You got it. Bye-bye. You too. Congrats, by the way. All right, that's Shannon Burns. He won his race last night. A whole bunch of other reformers in the Ohio Republican Party are now going to be on the Ohio, or excuse me, the GOP State Central Committee. They will vote for new leadership, and hopefully we will take advantage of uh, this red state that is just begging. I mean, seriously, the, the people in this state who are conservative-minded so outnumber the rhinos, and we're just begging for that representation and an opportunity to do what has to be done uh, to make this state great. And so now, hopefully, we're on our way to that. So terrible turnout yesterday, but the outcome in big picture, a big picture scenario, is a is a good one. Nine fifty four, right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. Always Right Radio on this Wednesday. It's seven minutes after the hour of 10 o'clock as uh, hour number two is underway. It's the third morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And obviously, we're still doing reactions to yesterday's primary elections, round two. But I want to pivot away from that now. My producer, Johnny Hiles, just... uh, uh, made me aware a few days ago of a terrific, terrific um, podcast. An interview between a man I interviewed uh, a few weeks back, eh, a couple months, I guess now. Uh, I talked to Michael Franzese, of course, who was a former uh, uh, mafia uh, capo. Uh, just uh, just an absolutely mesmerizing tale that he had to tell. He continues to tell in interviews and in books about his time uh, with the mafia. But he was doing an interview with an ex-KGB agent by the name of Jack Barsky. And I listened to it, and it was phenomenal. And come to find out that the interview was uh, the result of a book written by Jack Barsky called Deep Undercover. And it's about his time as an East German-recruited KGB operative who was inserted into the United States to spy on the United States for the Soviet Union. He did this for 10 years, and the story that I heard was so fascinating. I have not yet read the book, but I want to learn a lot more about it, so we invited Jack Barsky to come onto our program and tell us more about this. So, Jack Barsky, uh, his life has just been fascinating. Uh, the interview that I heard was, uh, was, was remarkable, and uh, I want to welcome the former KGB agent and now true American patriot is what it sounds like to me, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Jack, thank you for the time this morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, Cleveland. I'm very well. <laughs> Just before you came on, I heard the voices of two of my most favorite people on the planet, Ronald Reagan and Dennis Prager. 
Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, you know what? I concur, by the way, with both of them. We play, uh, we play a little bit of President Reagan before the start of every hour, along with a few other iconic uh, drops from some uh, great American patriots. But President Reagan and Dennis Prager are two of my favorites as well, so we share that in common. So, yeah, Jeff just, Barsky- a, just a frame of reference, I used to hate Reagan <laughs> when I wasn't eight. Well, yeah, when you're when you're when you're spying on uh, on Reagan's America for the Soviet Union, yeah, I would imagine you didn't have a whole lot of uh, fondness for him. So, let's before we get into that part of it, uh, when I was listening to your interview with Michael, um, he did a great job of you know like allowing you to tell the the backstory about how you became recruited. Now we don't have as much time as you did with him, so we can't go into all of the details. But can you? Give, yeah. give us a, a thumbnail sketch version of how uh, you know a guy living in East Germany and going to university uh, found his way into the KG, or rather, how they found you. Yeah, they found me. You, you, uh, and, uh, you couldn't apply for a job with the KGB. They didn't have a an address or a phone number on the phone book. Uh, they were constantly searching for raw material, quote-unquote, uh, to do some of the toughest jobs in espionage. And uh, I, I, this is how I put it together. Uh, I, I believe that uh, they had access to the, the Stasi, the East German secret police files, and just like rummaged around. And I was a standout. I, uh, I was, uh, I, I was a, a incredibly good student. I received a um, a, a scholarship that a national scholarship that was limited to a hundred concurrent holders in the entire country, and there were two hundred thousand students. So that indicated to, to them that I was not just really smart, but I also was a uh, a member of the party and uh, in, in a fully fully engaged communist. Uh, so that that meant let's talk to them, talk to him, and then it took about a year and a half for them to de- to determine that I had what it took. What exactly did it take? What did they determine about you that said this guy is perfect? Not only did they recruit you, but as you say, kind of observed you and and studied you to see if you could do this. What yeah. did they find in you that said yes? Let's activate him. This I found out <clears throat> uh, because there was an interview given by one of the ex-directors of the first directorate, first directorate was espionage, uh, and, and he listed a number of character traits that they were looking for. I, I don't remember all of them, but it, it uh, you know, it, it, uh, um, quick intellect, uh, uh, ease of uh, transition, the ability to be by oneself, and my, my, favorite, uh, <laughs> my favorite character trait was uh, a well-controlled, inclination for adventure uh, so so and I when I looked at those there were 10 that he listed and there were, there was only one I, I didn't fit so uh, they they were looking just for what nature or God had provided and nurture would would, would be added to this and so that's that's how I that's initially that's how they approached me and then they they tested me every which way. And I and I uh, I passed the test, and then I got the offer. So you were um, you were already enamored with and a believer in the the you know communist um, ideology before they recruited you. They didn't come for you and try to teach that to you. You already were a part of it. Is that is am I understanding that right? Uh, oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. We were, my generation was subject to brainwashing from, from kindergarten on. And by the time at uh, whose hands? I, I wasn't. At, at whose hands were you Said brainwashed? At whose hands were you brainwashed? Oh, oh the, well, the, East, the East German government, the Communist Party. I mean, we were, this, this was a communist country and, uh, you know, a vassal state of the Soviet Union. And uh, so by the time I was in college, I, I not only, that was not only my faith, but it was also uh, my conviction that this was a scientific theory about the progress of mankind. And uh, it was inevitable that uh, worldwide communism would eventually appear on the planet. And it, I made it my task to help accelerate this process. We are talking with uh, Jack Barsky. Jack Barsky is a former KGB agent. As you just heard, he uh, grew up in uh, in uh, the old East Germany and was recruited by the Russians to be, the Soviets, if you will, to be a spy here in the United States. His book is called Deep Undercover, uh, and he's giving us a little taste of it right now. So what kinds of things were you tasked with? Um, like I said, I haven't read your book. I just heard your interview, though, and I thought it was fascinating. You you spent 10 years... In the United States, I, I already know some of my listeners right now are going, why are you talking to a communist or an ex-communist? <laughs> how much of what he did, they're asking, I can, I can tell, I know my audience, Jack, how much of what he did when he was spying for the Soviets led to the loss of American lives? Uh, c- can you talk about the tasks that you performed while you were in that, in that life? Yeah, before, b- before I address that, <clears throat> a communist... That was a while ago. I, I now define myself as a, an American citizen who is a conservative libertarian constitutionalist. Okay, that's quite a anyway, transition. Uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was very slow, but um, you know it's you know if you if you have ears to listen and eyes to see, you will find the truth eventually even after all that brainwashing. But anyway, the, I get this question all the time, uh, you know, what, what, what was I tasked with? And the answer will surprises most people. The primary task for me, I'm sorry, my phone's ringing. <laughs> Christmas in August. for me was, what, what, was, what was most important to, to the KGB was me living and being here. And, and this is the rationale. The, during the height of the Cold War, there, there were, were many uh, instances where it was possible that uh, diplomatic relations between the USSR and the USA would be uh, severed. And then there wouldn't be anybody left because the, the, most of the spies, the KGB spies, were under diplomatic cover. But if there were, if the, all the diplomats got kicked out, I, uh, the, the only ones left would be illegals like me. And there were a few others. Uh, I, I know one of them. The, uh, the, in those days, there were, supposedly there were ten uh, sent out to the U.S. I don't know what happened to the other eight. Uh, I also had some other tasks, and, and primarily uh, I was supposed to operate as a spotter, spotting talent that uh, is a, that would uh, would be a good target for recruitment. Uh, and then the the other thing is I um, this was a bit of a, a daydream uh, by the KGB. They wanted me to sort of infiltrate organizations that. Uh, 
that either made foreign policy or were influential in foreign policy, I wasn't situated in in society uh, to 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 get to that point. But I did periodically issue some uh, some reports as to the response of the American people to certain uh, events in, in in the world. Jack, when you were um, living for those 10 years in the United States and when working on behalf of the Soviets, um, were, were you traveling back and forth? Uh, I, I, read a line, I read a line about you know, leading dual lives on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. Were you, were you going back and forth? And if so, how on earth you know, do, do you pull that off without you know, detection from you know, the American counterintelligence agencies? Every two years. And uh, um, so every two years I, I went back to Moscow and... Uh, and spent some time in, in East Germany. Uh, I traveled on on false passports. Uh, you know, this, um, my my name was not my my name under which I lived in the United States was not was not associated with any foreign travel. Got it. Okay. So so obviously you're very careful there. When a lot of people hear the word spying, particularly in the Cold War, um, you know, we think of movies and we think of spies getting involved in altercations and near misses and scrapes and <laughs> sometimes violent encounters. Did did any of that happen, or was yours just a normal, mundane, you know, kind of almost a boring American life in which you were just doing some extraordinarily, uh, you know, illegal and uh, and dangerous things for the Soviets? Normal, mundane, with a lot of caution, with a lot of uh, uh, awareness of whether I'm being investigated, being followed, and so forth. Um, I, but but uh, to, to just tell you, I had no weapons training. My right hand, I'm right-handed, has never touched a gun. I did have some uh, self-defense training just in case uh, I wind up, you know, some, somewhere in a, in a place where I'm uh, being attacked by criminals and, uh, and I have uh, compromising materials on me, but that never happened. So, Jack Barsky, uh, author of Deep Undercover, former KGB agent working during the Cold War for the Soviets, uh, placed here in the United States to spy on the U.S. How did it all come to an end? Well, the the end is probably the best part of my life. Uh, it was in 1988 uh, when the KGB somehow got spooked and... Uh, uh, was they were convinced that uh, I'm being investigated and uh, I, I would I, w- I was subject to uh, arrest rather soon, so they um, they um, initiated the emergency procedure. There was a there was a signal at, at a certain spot where it says when that signal was there, I was supposed to just run, you know, go make a beeline to the Canadian border, go to Ottawa and, and get exfiltrated from there. Uh, um, but what they didn't know was that at that time I had an 18-month-old daughter in this country and I had fallen deeply in love with that child. And this was uh, the first time that uh, I know knew what what it means to love con- unconditionally, and, and I'm, I'm telling people at that point I I actually jo- rejoined the human race because that love was so overwhelming that I uh, I refused to go back, even though I didn't know whether I was going to be arrested by the FBI, and eventually I didn't know uh, how the KGB would respond to me fo- not following orders. 
but I, I, I just couldn't help myself. And uh, I'm so glad I stayed because uh, uh, my, my child is now 35 years old, and she's wow. a wonderful, wonderful lady. That is uh, that is an amazing transformation. Let me let me try to bring you current now, or bring us current, perhaps, and just ask you: um, communism communism in the United States today. Um, you know, we 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 see more and more left wingers, uh, radical left winger extremists. You know, proud to say I'm a socialist. Bernie Sanders, uh, uh, Alexandria uh, Ocasio Cortez. You know, I'm a socialist. Um, the BLM leadership. We're proud Marxists. We're trained in Marxism. We are trained to dis- dismantle the uh, the Western structure of the nuclear family and in you know in our goal to build a Marxist state. Um, Communism is obviously a part of all of that. How how deep is the communist or the Marxist movement in the United States today, as you understand it? It is a it is on the fringe. When you're, when you're talking about BLM, we're talking about uh, some some organizations that actually uh, have adopted Marxist Marxist ideology. What what is much more dangerous is the is the uh, a trend towards collectivism, towards uh, uh, giving more and more powers to the central government? Because I don't see communism in the future of the United States. I, what I do see is potentially is an oligarchy like they have it in Russia, which is an alliance between the the ruling political class, the entrenched political class, the 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 federal bureaucracy, and the powerful. Uh, leaders of industry, particularly the ones in uh, in information technology, uh, you know, to 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 make communism real, you would have to uh, take uh, private property away from everybody, and uh, and and make the state the owner of of everything that's get get gets produced. I don't think that's feasible, and I don't think they want this. They they just want to you know. Rule over the rest of us because they know better than us, and uh, they, uh, they are better than us. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a horrible idea, and, and I just hope somehow we can we can put the brakes on and reverse the trend. I am not very optimistic because we have already two generations that have been taught by public schools and universities to to sort of accept the the idea that. The goodness comes from above, and that, and uh, from a centralized, uh, gracious government that gives out goodies. We're talking with Jack Barsky. Jack is a former KGB operative, worked in the United States, spying on the United States for the Soviet Union for 10 years. He has a book out called Deep Undercover, in which his entire life story and career are told. Um, let me ask you about Vladimir Putin. He's ex-KGB, too. And he, of course, has all eyes upon him for the invasion of Ukraine. He has all eyes on him on the, from the Democrat Party here who blame him for everything that has ever gone wrong, uh, at least in the last you know, 10 years. They blamed him for helping Donald Trump win the presidency in 2016. They did a two-year investigation trying to prove it, which it wasn't true. Um, how dangerous is Putin uh, to to... I guess I could say to the world, but to the United States now, it's different than Soviet era, but this iteration of Russia under the leadership of Putin, how concerned do we have to be about uh, any any activities affecting the U.S.? Yeah, there, there's something that the KGB was involved in and that uh, 
as the Russian intelligence is involved in big time these days, it's called, we called it active measures. Uh, active measures um, in, K- in KGB times uh, was fundamentally fake news. Uh, you know, producing fake news uh, and in, in injecting those those fake news items in, into uh, primarily uh, print media uh, that that were like sort of mainstream but left enough to to uh, publish something that's anti-American. And they had some success. Uh, two examples are that uh, you know they they placed uh, the, the that the news that. Uh, the, the AIDS virus was concocted in, in a CIA lab. <laughs> and the, the sort of funny one that, that a lot of Americans bought into was that, that J. Edgar Hoover, the, the ex-head of the FBI, was a secret cross-dresser. Generally, they weren't really that good at this because they didn't really know how American society functions. And in order to, to undermine a society, you need to know, you need to know about it. And, but but this, is, this has changed. Because uh, the, the, there's a whole lot of Russians who know how America functions. Some of them studied here. Uh, some of them have done business here. And so what they're doing Are they now, still here? Are they still here? Are there still... I mean, how, how, how deep would you say the Russian spying uh, uh, agency, if you will, is in the United States today? Uh, it's, it's a matter of volume. Yeah, uh, they, I don't. Th- I don't think they send people like me over over here anymore because it t- it takes a lot of time to find us, a lot a lot of time to train us, and a lot of time to maintain us. Since in in, in the old days, uh, there wasn't a lot of uh, going back and forth between the USSR and the United States, but now the the borders are open both ways, and uh, I I can guarantee you that every every person who came from Russia. And, and and to 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 the United States was at least asked to help out. Okay, and so what we have is a bunch of amateur spies, and some of them are are, are quite successful. You you got it. Look, I'm not anti-Russian. I'm not saying you know you should like hate every Russian you you ever encounter, but but you ought to be very careful. But but the other thing that they're doing nowadays is the fake news are land, are landing on the internet. And there, they are significantly more uh, successful. What, what, what? There is a, there's an army of uh, Russian hackers that uh, uh, actually pr- produce the fake news and and fake people on on Instagram and and uh, and uh, Facebook and so forth, mm-hmm. and and they attach themselves the fake people with with the fake news uh, to extremist organizations left and right. And in, in that way, uh, you know, they they uh, deepen the rift that we have already, and and that that is to to me it's very dangerous. By by some estimates, uh, <clears throat> given by law enforcement and people who are uh, who are active in in cyber in cyber security, uh, it says that about twenty percent of the content on Facebook is come is coming out of Russia. Be aware. Yeah, we have heard that uh, a lot. As a matter of fact, you know, Elon Musk, you saw, uh, nearly took over uh, Twitter, and then he found out that a significant percentage of the yep. accounts there were bots, or uh, which which were which were Russian. Uh, you know, uh, fake, fake, fake users who are, uh, you know, spying on, on, uh, content and, and hacking, uh, on behalf of the Russians. So, uh, that is a very, very big concern. And, and I've only got time for one last question for you here, Jack Barsky. 
Who's a bigger threat to the United States today? Is it present-day Russia under Putin, or is it the Chinese Communist Party? Uh, it depends. Uh, Long-term, it's, it's China for sure. But we have to be aware that Russia has nuclear weapons, and a lot of them. And, uh, you know, I'm not so much worried about Putin purposely launching a nuclear war because he is not suicidal. He, he, he knows that if, if, he, if he attacks with nuclear weapons, he will be dead too. I'm worried about the escalation of tension and I'm worried about potential uh, mistakes, accidents. Uh, we came close to nuclear war during <clears throat> the Cold War and, and just like avoided this kind of an accident a couple of times. That is the, the, the near-term threat, but long-term, it's China. Jack Barsky, uh, what an amazing life story. He was, uh, he was born in East Germany. Uh, he hated the Nazis. He loved communism. He was brainwashed into loving communism, joined the KGB after being recruited, served in the United States or served the Soviets by spying in the United States before uh, seeing the light. And now you call yourself a fan of Reagan and Dennis Prager. Have you ever been on Dennis Prager's show? No, I would love to be on, <clears throat> on Mr. Prager's show. He he is such a lucid thinker. I mean, it, he, it doesn't get any better than him. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll see what I can do on that end. I am a regular guest host of the Dennis Prager Show. So I will talk to Dennis and see if we can make this happen for you with him. And if it doesn't work out that way, the next time I guest host his show, I will have you there to talk to his national audience. Would that be all right? Absolutely. And then we have a little more time to get go, dig, dig deeper. Which I would love to do. I mean, we've only scratched uh, the surface of the surface in this conversation, and I'm already fascinated. People can get the details from the book. It's called Deep Undercover uh, by uh, Jack Barsky, former KGB agent. Jack, thank you so much for coming on and telling us your story. I appreciate it. It's a great story of, of redemption as far as I'm concerned, and you have so much to share that could be of such great benefit to so many people right now. Thank you very much for doing that. My pleasure. God bless you, sir. There you go. I never thought I'd say God bless you to a former KGB agent and a spy for the Soviet Union. But um, you heard him. You heard his story. You heard the change of heart and, uh, you know, the, the turn toward uh, toward freedom uh, that his life took. And uh, what, a, what, a role, what a role he played. 1032. We're way late. We're going to take some time to catch up, and we'll come back. I want to hear from you. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Always right radio. the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny always write radio with bob france and the answer okay 10 39 now always write radio am 1420 the answer don't forget always write.us you can leave messages for me there i've got to check those i have not in the last day or two and that's my bad my apologies to you for that but i will do so uh leave a message for me on the um on the uh, sound off button on the upper right hand right hand corner of the page, it's a red square. It'll say sound off. You go ahead and put in your name. You go ahead and leave your message. You go ahead and push send, and it comes to me. And we'll play it on the radio, and we'll respond to it. I would love your responses now to the conversation that I just had with Jack Barsky, uh, the former KGB agent. Um, you know, this is such a 
fascinating tale, like I said, of redemption. This is a guy who was just, you know, grew up in East Germany, hated the Nazis, um, was totally pulled in by the brainwashing of the communists. And he was a devout, devoted communist, a super accomplished student, perfect for recruitment by the Soviets uh, to become a KGB operative. And uh, after a year and a half of studying him and making sure that he had what they needed, they put him in play. And he was in the United States for 10 years spying for the Soviets. He eventually resigned, if you will, from it. Um, and discovered by the FBI, today you heard him. He's a patriotic, conservative, libertarian American citizen uh, who believes in freedom and is now taking advantage of his, uh, you know, his his chance to be a normal, living normal American life. It's a fascinating story, and he's got a lot of things to share about communism and about the Communist Party, both the Communist Party in China and the continuing uh, threat of Vladimir Putin in Russia. Might not be the Soviet Union anymore, but Russia is still Russia. Uh, so a really, really fascinating conversation. We have a lot to learn from people like that. Uh, give me your thoughts, 216-901-0945. Let me go to TJ, who's in Cleveland. Hey, TJ, thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, Bob, listening to your interview about these rhinos in uh, you know, the Republican Party, it started giving me a flashback to Vietnam. You know, they had what they called the Viet Cong there, the V.C., and they were supposed to be our friends. They were supposed to be on our side. But when the sun went down, they'd be out there trying to blow us up and cut our throats. And, you know, these rhinos in the Republican Party are no different than the V.C. They appear to be on our side. They appear to be our friends, but they'll stab us in the back the first chance they get. So I don't call them rhinos anymore. I call them V.C., you know, in our party. And I, I know you. you don't, yeah, I know you don't like talking about sports, but I got to say one thing about Deshaun Watson. His only mistake was not hiring Hillary Clinton as his defender. If he had done that, not only would he not have been suspended, but all these women that accused him would probably end up having to pay him because she was a master at destroying any woman, you know, that made any accusations against her husband. I thought you were going to say that. I thought you were you were going to say all those women would have been suicided. Uh, <laughs> well, you, yeah, either that or you know, uh, trailer park trash. You know, yeah, you know the old story with I that. I do, yes, but, sir. Of but course. you know, uh, talking with this KGB. Uh, uh, agent, I still remember when I was a young boy and my grandma's telling me about Poland and how bad the Nazis were. Mm-hmm. But she says, you know, believe it or not, when the communists took over Poland, they were worse. She said they made the Nazis look like Boy Scouts. That's how bad the Communist Party was, you know, when he took control of Poland. And I do agree with him about China. They're not an immediate threat for war because they don't have to. They're already buying up our whole country. They don't have to go to war with us. They, they're, they're owning everything. They are, and they have an enormous influence in American universities too. They, you know, they have this. You know, they they couch it as a you know Chinese culture classes or Chinese Chinese culture uh, like divisions in in uh, in courses and so forth. And um, it's it's all it is is pure unadulterated communist Chinese propaganda. Uh, and they are reaching American students in many of the same ways that they used to recruit. You know, like I said, from the, from the Soviets used to recruit young students who are maybe a little bit disillusioned. TJ, think of it this way. Put, put, put all of these things together. The American media, 
the American educational system telling young American students, bright kids, how evil, how oppressive, how systemically racist, how biased this country is. Start turning them against what this country stands for. Then give them exposure to Chinese communist propaganda about how great things are there and and, and uh, what a wonderful history they have here. And what do you have when you have the young, formative brains, including and especially some intelligent and high-achieving ones, hating their own country and being taught about the merits of a, of a communist country? You're seeing a replay, a replay of what the Soviets used that Jack Barsky just talked about. Yeah. And, and, and you know, people better become aware. You know, the Colorado River is drying up. You know, a, a Lake B there in Powell, it, it's almost going dry. And they were showing where the Chinese bought hundreds of thousands of acres that are being watered, you know, by these uh, reservoirs, and they're growing, growing soy. Now, that soy is not being uh, uh, sold in America. It's being shipped back to China. So they're sucking our water resources. They're sucking our food up. I mean, they're controlling every aspect, uh, like I said, uh, of American society. And we've got politicians on both sides of the fence that obviously, if I know this is going on, they know this is going on, and they refuse to do anything. And you've got to wonder how many of them are in the pockets of the Chinese, how many of them are, are collecting money or, or graft. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's scary a, to think, and there's no, nobody looking out for the people, it doesn't no, seem like. No, no, there really isn't, and, uh, and, and I'm glad you brought it up. Thank you, TJ, for the call. I appreciate it. You know, when, when we um, talk about, you know, the Cold War, and we talk about old stories of KGB agents and things like the one we just did, you know, we kind of we almost, I said this to Michael Franzese when I talked to him. Um, about the mafia, I said there's almost like a rom- romanticized attitude toward that because it's gone. There's almost, you know, and the movies are highly entertaining, of course, and they talk, you watch Goodfellas, and you hear Henry Hill talk about the life, the worst thing in the world for him when he ended his uh, mafia career, when he when he turned and ratted on uh, his fa- the family that he was uh, uh, tied with. He said he, he still missed the life. He liked the life. And so when we watch it and we hear about, you know, mafia stories, we, we don't think about the torture. We don't think about the murder. We don't think about the violent crime. We think about the mafioso lifestyle, and it's, uh, you know, it's romanticized. And I think the same thing is true of spy stories. And, and when you talk about things like the Soviets and the KGB and so forth, there is a, almost, it's like, you know, it's Bond. Well, they have their spies and we have ours, and it's a chess game, and it's romanticized. And we think most of that is over. Because the Cold War is over, but you got to understand that the spying—and that's why I brought it up to uh, uh, to our guest Jack Barsky—the spying that went on then is still going on now. It's just a different type. A lot of it is more uh, digital through the hacking system. Uh, they are spying on a lot of what we do, not just what the uh, you know government officials and agencies do, but what American citizens do and to find their way in. It's real. It's still a serious threat. I've got an article in front of me. This is I was referencing this with uh, with TJ, and I didn't even know who was going to bring this up, but I have these articles saved because I, I know they're always going to be relevant. And so I just pulled this one up from, uh, from a previous conversation that we had. Now, this article is from May, so just a couple of months old. The truth about, this is in true news media, the truth about Chinese spies in American universities. This is what I was referencing to TJ. 
While not in a military conflict, the United States and China are tangling in a version of the Cold War. And, and by the way, I'm really glad this came up now, too, because my whole first segment of my monologue was about Nancy Pelosi's trip to China. Uh, or I'm sorry, to uh, Taiwan. And how it exposes China for the evil and the threat that they are. Um, you know, just to refresh that, if you missed it, I thought it was stupid for Nancy Pelosi to want to try to go to Taiwan and, and cause this problem, which they had to know it would at this particular time and which were struggling in so many other ways. But then once she made the, the declaration, she had to do it. Otherwise, we look weak and we can be pushed around by the Chinese. And then the last thing is, is, uh, the, they're still, Saber rattling. They're, they're banging war drums. And it shows how evil and dangerous the Chinese Communist Party really are. So many people just kind of poo poo the threat whenever we talk about China. And when I talk about how Le Beijing James, and that's what I call LeBron James anymore, Le Beijing, because he is nothing but positive about China, despite all of their, their human rights violations and their threats and so forth. So I'm kind of glad that this came up now. This spring, as university graduates across the United States prepare to walk the stage, more than degrees will be handed out. Among the students and faculty at American College University sit spies, agents of the Chinese Communist Party who have spent their years in college funneling research and stolen intellectual property back to the CCP. For years, the CCP has executed propaganda and espionage campaigns across the globe. In the U.S., one of their methods of impacting the decisions of academic institutions and spying on activities inside the U.S. is through the Confucius Institutes. Now, this is what I was talking about to TJ when I said, you know, they, they put these, these programs together in universities as celebrations of Chinese culture. It's just studying ancient culture, Chinese culture, just like you might Japanese culture or Greek or anything else for that matter. But that's just their cover. The Confucius Institutes are not about just Chinese culture. Going back to the article, these institutes are Chinese state-sponsored entities. First established in America in 2005 under the guise of promoting Chinese language and culture, support local Chinese teaching internationally, and facilitating cultural exchange. In reality, Confucius Institutes are used by the CCP to exploit the open, collaborative nature of American academia and conduct widespread industrial and military espionage inside the United States. Students and employees of these institutes infiltrate university campuses to steal intellectual property, intimidate Chinese dissidents, promote communist propaganda, and funnel information back to the People's Liberation Army. And if this doesn't (laughs) open your eyes to the threats of China, what TJ said and what others have said uh, is true. The attack on the United States by the Chinese doesn't have to come from outside. It doesn't have to come in the form of bombers. It doesn't have to come in the form of ships. It doesn't have to come in the form of, of uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 terrorist acts uh, or, or, or simple modern warfare. It, it's going to come from within. They are already here. They're inside. This is the new kind of KGB threat that I was talking to Jack Barsky about. The article continues, the fact that the CCP was able to suppress free speech and debate on U.S. campuses is gravely concerning. Purdue, hold on, let me, let me, I think I skipped over a section. Yeah, let me, let me do this paragraph. In May of 2020, 
Zhao Kong, a Chinese student at Purdue University, posted a letter online commemorating the victims of the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre. What followed was a catastrophe. Officers of the Ministry of State Security, that's the primary Chinese civilian spy agency, visited this young man's students in China to pressure him to stop his activist activity in America. Other Chinese students at Purdue began to harass Kong, threatening to report him to the embassy. After his parents were repeatedly visited by MSS officers, Kong was silenced, rescinding his commitment to speak at a forum on the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Now, the Tiananmen Square Massacre, you recall, was one of the darkest international moments for uh, the uh, communist nation, for China. I mean, the entire world was aghast. And now here's a Chinese student at Purdue in 2020 talking about it and commemorating the victims, and the current Chinese government worked to silence him. In the same way that you and I and other conservative people who tell the truth that is embarrassing to the current power, powers that be, the leftist powers that be, this is a tool of the far left. And it doesn't get much far left in communist China, right? This is a tool. The fact that the CCP was able to suppress free speech and debate on U.S. campuses is gravely concerning. Purdue University is a school that receives DHS science and technology funding. Hosted, They hosted a Confucius Institute until 2018, had extensive ties with Chinese schools, promoting military civil fusion as recently as last year, 2021. It is past time that we take a strong stance against the CCP's violation of U.S. academia, and it starts with ensuring DHS funding only goes to institutions that are free of China's foreign influence. So here's what I suggest. I strongly recommend, if you're paying tuition for a college or university for your kids or grandkids right now, look into your kid's college. Look into and find out, are they supporting uh, the Chinese Confucius or the uh, Confucius Institutes, which are essentially covers or fronts for the Chinese espionage agencies and propaganda agencies, to take Chinese American students and have them working on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party, not on the United behalf of the United States. They're just as slick. They're just as sly. They're just as uh, you know <clears throat> um, effective at infiltrating as the as the Russians were. And so many others. It's a legitimate concern, these Confucius Institutes. I didn't mean to do a whole segment on that, but when TJ brought it up, coupled with what we talked about at the top of the hour, or top of the show, I should say, with Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan and incurring China's wrath, uh, you better be aware. You better be aware. And I hate to end my segment by saying this, but I will. I've said it before. If we end up going into some kind of a military conflict with China, with Biden's version of our military, the woke, trans, rainbow, pride military, we will be destroyed. Sorry. That's reality. I'll be right back. In my room, I want you. Keeping Medicare simple and the floor king. You and I know 
And do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three, nine minutes past 11 o'clock. It's a Wednesday. It's the third morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. People are waking up to propaganda in the schools. People are waking up. Uh, we were talking about the universities and the Confucius Institutes, which I still want to talk about, actually. Americans, or excuse me, Chinese spies in America welcomed in by our American universities. But also talking about people waking up to the propaganda in the elementary schools, propaganda in the high schools. I want to play a quick clip here for you before I go back to the phones of a Texas mom who said, done, done with all of this nonsense that you're trying to pour into my kids' brains. She's a black woman named Gabrielle Clark. She spoke on June 26th at a public education hearing. And she said, you're not going to do this stuff to my kid or there will be repercussions. I want you to listen to this because I think it's important. And then we'll talk about it and we'll go right to your phone calls. I filed the first federal lawsuit against woke indoctrination in America, in Nevada. And I live here now. And if my daughter is taught CRT at all, I will sue you. If my daughter is taught SEL at all, I will sue you. I am encouraging every parent I know to sue you. To sue every teacher, principal, every system, everybody up the chain. Because we're tired of y'all. We don't need CRT. We don't need SEL. We don't need, hey, listen, I'm an atheist, bisexual, biracial, homeless person. I want school choice. I do not want my child to be taught that just because she's black and a woman, she ain't gonna make it. I do not want my child to be taught that she needs to express herself sexually in her classroom. And in the Bible, there's no depictions of None, not one. Let's do the context, right? In the Bible, or in Chaucer for that matter, there's no depictions of that's not happening in no classic ever this is the context this is what we're talking about y'all are tripping every single day we go to schools and we see our teachers lie to us lie right to our faces 
And y'all said you have your best, our best interest at heart. So where, why, don't, why does everything have to be so difficult? Why can't we just go to people and say, hey, look, this is wrong. And state the reasons why, and then they fix it. Why does it have to be X, X amount of steps to get to where we need to be? Why do you have to be a lawyer in order to figure all of this stuff out? I swear to you, I promise you, I will turn this into a class action lawsuit ambulance chasing business. And you're going you gonna to understand the reason why teachers are leaving, because I had dinner with a teacher from, uh, uh, from Austin last night. They're leaving because they don't want to get their pronouns. They don't want to have to supervise people in the bathroom because they're having sex in the bathrooms. They don't want to have to deal with that stuff. They don't want to have to deal with these, these kinds of issues. They're, you know, and we don't have to invalidate all of these teachers' issues with their, with their emotional support learning. We don't need that. Our kids are not your emotional support animals. Stop treating them like that. I'm a mother. A mother, not a birthing person. I earned that butt with my cellulite and my stretch marks. You're not going to do this to us. We will fight you every single day from now on. Clark, thank you for your testimony. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for being here. <laughs> a little garbled there, but yeah, we're digging it. A little, uh, little rough. Um, she was spectacular. She was so fired up and so on point, and I hope she is speaking for millions. I hope she is speaking for millions of people when she said every single day we go to school and we see teachers lie to us right to our faces, and the good ones are leaving because they don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to be picking pronouns or studying pronouns or naming their own pronouns. They shouldn't have pornography in the library. You got 10 days to take it out or the sheriff is coming to get you, she said. That's where we should be because if anybody in public showed this kind of stuff to my child, that's what would happen to them on the spot. Show a pornographic book to a child on the street, get arrested. Do it in school and you get a paycheck. She's right. And and parents are waking up. They are. There's a parents' right group that has sued an Iowa school district over the gender transition policies they have in place which essentially tell these children to make fundamentally important decisions about their identities with their teacher's support, but without their parents' knowledge, hiding these decisions from their parents. There's a massive lawsuit uh, happening right now in Iowa over that, and this is good. These are good things. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tulsa schools have been warned for violating the state's CRT ban, which we should have here in the state of Ohio, a ban on the teaching of criminal race theory. You heard me right. It's one of the T-shirts that we have online at alwaysright.us. Not critical race theory, criminal race theory, because that's what it is. It's a crime to teach this trash about prejudging people based on their skin color as being oppressors or victims from the time that they're born. People are waking up, and that's a good sign. Okay, back to the phones. Yanina is calling us now from University Heights. Thanks for waiting, Yanina. You're on the air. Go right ahead. Uh, yes, good morning. Good well, morning. just would like to let you know that uh, Russia and China, those are the enemy of this country, no matter what. And a lot of you know our media is doing propaganda against Trump, but Trump is a genius. He knows everything about China, and China, our biggest enemy, the communists, all the communists, and I bet, I hope, because if uh, Nancy Pelosi went to China, if they're going to become a 
spy for China. He's going to make more money from Chinese government than an American government. And you know that uh, Biden also gets paid in China. China paid Biden. And you know, like, you, you know, you cannot destroy America from outside. This is why you have people who destroy America inside. I don't even know. I think, you know, if Obama went all over the world apologize for America and he's a socialist, maybe communist, how do you know if he's not spying for America? This is where we're in big trouble. American people are very naive and very gullible. And media is doing propaganda against Trump, but Trump is the real person who wants to take care of this country. I don't care about his personality, how he's dealing with women or whatever, his private life is private. But if he does for America, that's to me, this is the president we need. This is the president well, we need to protect our country. Yanina, I so appreciate your phone call, and you are so spot on. God bless you, and thank you for the phone call. Um, people don't understand the threat. They really don't of, of, of Russia and China from the propaganda standpoint and from what they're spreading into our, our population, what they're spreading in our schools, and, yes, what they're spying on and taking from us. You mentioned Biden, probably on the payroll. I don't know if it's a payroll situation, but it is kind of a quid pro quo. You do for us, we'll do for you. I firmly believe that right now the Chinese Communist Party has an ally. They have an asset, to a degree, in the American Oval Office. It's, it's, it's impossible to, not, to, to turn your head away and not see so many of the things, particularly after what Donald Trump did, to put China in check. Donald Trump did exactly what he ran on and said he was going to do, renegotiated trade deals with China and took massive billion-dollar deficits, trade deficits with China, and balanced them out. It was a remarkable thing, and he did so without having to threaten, without having to coerce. I mean, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. I shouldn't say he didn't have to threaten. I don't know what he did. But whatever it was behind the scenes, no president had been able to do for decades. And now here comes Joe Brandon, and the Chinese are just licking their chops, not to mention, from the standpoint, there's the digital warfare that we talk about online and then traditional warfare. They are looking at what has become of the American military, and they are thinking, let's... You know, if, if ever there was a chance to take uh, a, a take a run at the United States from the outside, this is that chance. They're still going to stick with their cyber attacks. They're going to gain intel. They're going to gain information. And they're going to do a lot of damage from the propaganda within the walls of the American universities. But if there ever was a time for them, if they felt like they needed to have a, a face-to-face showdown with the Americans, this is that time. This is that time for them, because the American military is as weak as it's been in, in my lifetime. And it's not because of the rank and file, at least some of them. In some cases it is, but it's largely because of the, of the leadership. Let's go to um, where are we headed. Jay in Illyria next. Jay, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting. Go right ahead. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Listen, I have two things I'd like to speak to. One is Nancy Pelosi. Okay. And the other is a caller that you had a while ago. I'm, I'm not sure who it was, so I'm going to refrain from sharing what I thought his name was. But he made a comment that suggested that the VC or Viet Cong or the military arm of the National Liberation Front in South Vietnam portrayed themselves as being friendly towards the United States. The Viet Cong in South Vietnam were our abject 
shoot on sight and kill as many as you possibly can at one time enemy. They were the single most powerful element that the United States military faced on a daily and I might say nightly basis, which is when they were probably most active. There was nothing, nothing, unless you happen to see one by himself in a village that was not weaponized at the moment. He may say, oh, no VC, no VC, no VC here, no VC. He was alone, which is why he may have said there was that 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 that, that he was friendly. But, but exactly. that would be it. Two I, or more, they were absolutely deadly enemies. And if you had anything to say about it, they ended the conversation with him being dead. Period. To to, to suggest I'm that so he glad was you... portraying them as a friend or something like a friend, I seriously question whether he was ever in military uniform or ever in Vietnam at all. Period. That's all I want to say about that. Well, before Next, you go Nancy, on, before you go, before go you go on go to ahead. Nancy Pelosi, I just want to thank you for that because you know, according to virtually everything that I've read and every person that I've talked to who was in Vietnam, everything you just said is is one hundred percent true and verified. I don't know exactly what the point the other individual was trying to make, and maybe, like you said, maybe he made it up, maybe just to sound like he was there. I don't know, but I'm very, very glad to hear you point that out because what you were saying is is important to know. All of this history of our enemies, and particularly, you know, the way they conducted themselves, and, and again. Again, you know, I could tie a little bit about what you're talking about right now to the enemies that we face around the globe that we're not necessarily in hand-to-hand combat with the way you were with the Viet Cong. But uh, in terms of uh, their declared enmity for the United States and vice versa, um, we, we better not forget our history. But we better not forget who people were. Uh, and I'm glad you just clarified that record. So thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that. I appreciate it. And Absolutely. I did serve there. I, I can tell. So, <laughs> I knew you were not. You weren't. You weren't talking about what you read in a textbook. You were. You were. You no. were there, and I understand. And thank so, you, by the way, going for your on, service. Thank you. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, going on to Nancy Pelosi. This is this is my belief. I don't have any proof for anything I'm about to say, but my conviction of this is: this trip by Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan was prearranged probably very shortly after her husband's investment was discovered and disallowed by the Congress. They had to return all of the money they either would have made or they stopped receiving any of the money they would have made as a result of that investment. My opinion is Nancy Pelosi arranged this trip somehow through her contacts and the Chinese Communist Party leaders. I don't know if it would be Xi or or someone else at a lower level, but her trip was prearranged and set up to look exactly the way it was portrayed to us to have taken place. She went there to Taiwan to find a back door to, to regain the money that they were forced to either not take or give back as a result of her illegal and unscrupulous trading that she is prohibited from doing as a member of Congress. And the whole thing is a farce, and it further went to establish Nancy Pelosi as some kind of conquering hero for the last term that she will ever serve in office with any kind of help from God whatsoever. And it will allow her the red carpet to go out walking on, looking like the queen of diplomacy in the United States when she's in fact a communist paid infiltrator, no different than than the Chinese chauffeur of Barbara Boxer or the Chinese girlfriend of Eric Swalwell or any of the other people, and I'm not even going into the Bidens, man, because, geez, Louise, that's obvious on its face. 
And that is what I absolutely believe Nancy Pelosi did. She scammed the country. And anybody that believes in and supports her as a victorious person on, the, on, on, on behalf of the United States in doing anything close to what Richard Nixon actually did should be ashamed of themselves. Well, I'll tell you what, um, you, you, those are some heavy allegations. Uh, as you pointed out, it's just your opinion. You have no proof. Neither do I. And so I won't, I won't say, you know, that I agree with them, but I question every single bit of the reason for that trip in the same way you do. I do think it was probably personal and personal profiteering in nature. And thank you for the call, by the way, Jay. Uh, I do think it was personal profiteering in nature. Don't have evidence, so I'm not going to make allegations or accusations to that end. But as I said at the very beginning of the call to, uh, program today, her decision to go there to me is very unclear. To just say, oh, to spread goodwill, it's a goodwill tour. It's just, you know, hogwash, hogwash. There was no legitimate reason that was, that was explained. She wasn't going there to meet with a particular delegation of Asian leaders to talk about a specific policy that is to our mutual benefit or that we needed to work out. It was just, oh, it's just a goodwill trip, just to, you know, continue diplomatic relations. Garbage. The State Department is there for that. Why does Nancy Pelosi need to make that trip? I don't know. And why did she need to declare we're going to Taiwan? I don't know. Like I said, once she did publicly for the sake of our reputation internationally, we had to go. She had to go once it was stated because we can't look like we're taking our orders from Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist uh, Party. We can't look like we're afraid to cross the mighty Xi. So I get all of that. Uh, and once she went, like I said, I'm glad it exposed uh, China for what it is, but to another degree. But her purpose for going at the very beginning was never made clear to me, and I have no reason to doubt uh, Jay's opinion of what uh, he of what he just described about her intentions. More phone calls coming up. Always right radio. Eleven twenty-eight on Always Right Radio, AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Appreciate you being with us. Let's get to another phone call. We're going to talk to Jim in West Park. Hey, Jim, go ahead. Hello. Hey, Jim, go ahead, buddy. Okay, um, I I'm reading this: the truth about energy, global warming, and climate change by Jerome Corsi. Okay, uh, page eighty-nine. Mm-hmm. While Obama. President Obama was promoting green energy in the United States. The Obama administration was busy selling unprecedented rights to U.S. oil reserves. Colorado, uh, 800 acres in northern Colorado and southwest Wyoming, $1.27 billion uh, to the Chesapeake Energy Corporation. Louisiana. 265 acres in the Tuscaloosa Marine Shale for $2.5 billion. Michigan, the Sinab pick gained one-third interest in two, 350 acres, more significant, $2.5 billion with Devon Energy. Ohio, same thing, 235 thousand acres of Utica shale okay Oklahoma I could go on and okay on yeah and don't on don't go on let's let's yeah. to do that 
Yeah, cut to cut to the chase here. What, okay, what? but then in in, in the deception. The suppression, deception, and snobbery and bias by Artie Fletcher, he said that the world leaders wanted this guy gone. It wasn't just the Democrats. It wasn't just the Republicans. It was a world uh, takedown of this guy because he wasn't opening up the piggy bank of the American people anymore. He says enough is enough. And this is, you know, this is our problem. We have so much corruption in this country now. For every um, legislative person, there's like six lobbyists. All right, my two well, minutes I'll are up. I, yeah, go. I, yeah, I appreciate you it. Thank you. Thank you, Jim, very much. And I'm glad you're reading that book. And I encourage everyone to read uh, uh, Dr. Jerome Corsi's book. We, we talk about we had him on twice to talk about it already, but it is uh, it is a terrific understanding, truly, of the lies and the deception of the uh, of the global warming alarmists. Uh, climate change is is not real. It is not real to the extent or to the uh, in the manner that they describe it. Uh, read that book by Dr. Corsi. We'll be right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob Franz on The Answer. 1138 Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. i got time for a few more before we turn it over to Bill O'Reilly, who will carry it to the top of the hour, and some Charlie Kirk. Uh, Carol has been waiting ever so patiently in Willoughby Hills. Let's take Carol. Go right ahead, Carol. Hi. Um, I'm reading online an article from The Lantern dated April 28th last year. And the title is Ohio Representative Reintroduces Bill to Cut, Cut Funding to Universities with China Funded Learning Centers. And his name is Anthony Gonzalez. Yeah, maybe he's somebody you would like to get on your show. Well, I uh, I appreciate the uh, the recommendation, uh, Carol, um, and and, uh, and I thank you so much for your phone call. Um, I'm not really sure if we're ta- sure if you're talking about the same person that I know. I don't know if you're talking about the same Anthony Gonzalez. <laughs> I hope not, uh, because the last time I talked with Anthony Gonzalez will be the last time that I ever talk to Anthony Gonzalez. I am con- I, I, I'm very, very confident of that. Now, whether or not that's related to this, I do not know. But I thank you so much uh, for your call and for listening. TJ is back in Cleveland. Uh, once, Well, I should say he's still in Cleveland. He is back on the air. He wanted to talk about a little bit about Jay in Illyria's comments. TJ, go ahead, yeah, sir. Bye. Bob, you know, I don't like to take a shot at a fellow Vietnam veteran, but here goes. I served with the 1st Air Cavalry Division in a combat infantry unit from January 68 to 69. I went through the Tet Offensive and the Battle Away. I have a DD-214 that'll prove everything I said. I would love to match my DD-214 with Jay's. Now, I understand he was a Navy CB. And I'm not dishonoring anything the Navy CBs did, but these were builders. They built bridges. They built bunkers. Uh, they did stuff like that. 
I was combat infantry. My DD-214 proves everything I said. I want to know if Jay has a combat infantry badge, two bronze stars, an air medal, and a presidential unit citation. They wrote a book on our see, here's, battalion. See, here's what I, here's what I now, don't no, want to do. Bob, no, hold on, hold on, TJ. I want to clarify something here, too, because I'm going to... I'm going to tell you that I don't know that I necessarily understood everything you said the first time. Uh, and I do not want to get in between two veterans or to start a battle between two veterans like this. Now, everything that I have read and everything, everybody that I have talked to about, about the Viet Cong is pretty much as Jay described. Now, why, why your experiences are different, I don't understand. Go ahead. Let me tell you why. We had interpreters, okay, that worked with us. We couldn't trust them. On a base camp on K in Vietnam, they were paying Vietnamese workers to fill sandbags, and they were caught cutting claymore mines, uh, you know, uh, the, the lines to our claymores. Now, if this guy, I don't know what he did or what he's seen, but you talk to any grunt, and I'm not talking an ABCB or a cook or a clerk. Talk to any grunt in, uh, that served in Vietnam, and they'll tell you about the Viet Cong. During the day, we paid these people to do work for us. At night, we didn't know what they were doing. And, I mean, I don't know, like, this guy to take a shot at that. And I want to change. Well, cl- change. clarify, I'll, clarify I'll that you, for Bob, me. I'll meet with you and exchange DD-214s with Mr. Combat J. Okay. And we'll you, see who did what. Like I said, I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to see anybody having their service besmirched. I don't, I, and I will certainly never do it because I didn't serve. I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to start that between you two guys. But, but he explain to me it, if Bob. you could. I understand, TJ. I understand, and I don't think I understand it was to understood everything you were saying the first time you can't you called. So, so I'm, I'll, I will own that. That's on me, and and uh, and and I apologize if I didn't because maybe I should have clarified it. Then it would have wouldn't even have necessitated Jay's call. But having said all of that, would you say? You paid these guys to work, you know, do some work for you during the day, but you don't know what they were doing at night. What, what do you mean by that? Because maybe that's what, what Jay's what, talking about. Is, is well, what we... they, you know, Bob, look, <clears throat> I, I was going to tell you, you know, they, they have a movie uh, that uh, it's a good Vietnam movie. It never hit the theaters called Go Tell the Spartans with Burt Lang, uh, uh, Lancaster. Yeah. And they had uh, South Vietnamese that were supposed to be on our side. And they caught one of them that were mapping out uh, coordinates of the, uh, of the camp they were in to where their mortars could hit at night. You couldn't trust a lot of the South Vietnamese. You couldn't trust the civilians. You didn't know who was your friend or who was your foe. And a lot of times they would act like they were on your side and your friend, but they weren't. And that's, that's, pretty, that's well established with Vietnam veterans. And, I mean, I can't believe, like I says, uh, uh, you know, Bob, Mm-hmm. My name was in the first Calvary magazine that comes out every month on our Battle Away. It was called the Lost Battalion. But yeah. for this guy to, to make the statement, he doesn't even think I was there, from some guy that maybe drove a bulldozer, maybe never fired a rifle in his life at an enemy, and he's going to dishonor a combat veteran. That's why I would love to meet with him, and let's look at our DD-214s and see who did what. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what I would did. like to see happen here, TJ, because uh, you know you and I have been talking for years on the radio about your experiences there, uh, and and so you know that I know who you are and what you are, but 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 obviously there's miscommunication Jay is here. A punk. That, well, 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 well. Here, here's here's punk. what I would like to see happen, and thank you, TJ. God bless. Appreciate your call as always, and you know I respect your service too. Um, 
What I would like to see happen is a conversation, not a show, a comparison of, of, of forms or, or, or bronze stars or anything else. I would like to have a conversation about these experiences. And maybe if Jay is listening, you can call the show right now off the air, talk to Johnny, and maybe we can get you guys on the air together and hash these things out in a peaceful way, not in a way that dishonors anybody's service. That's the way we'll leave it for today. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.